I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors in the UK. Well, we're just 32 days from the start of the 2019 Rugby World Cup in Japan and we're with you every Monday here on full contact for the entire build-up and throughout the tournament. Wales got their revenge over England with a winning Cardiff and in doing so returned to the top of Rugby World's rankings. Eddie Jones says they're now favourites for the World Cup and we'll speak with the former Wales and Lions prop Adam Jones to see if he agrees. France kicked off their World Cup preparations with a comfortable win over Scotland in Nice, a lot more comfortable than most people thought it was going to be. Philippe Saint-Andre, the uh, former French coach who was in charge last time France were at the World Cup, he'll be speaking to us about their chances this autumn and about his new academy. New Zealand silenced their critics by thrashing Australia to retain the Bledisloe Cup and former All Black Scott Hamilton joins us to speak about their two new wingers who stole the show on Saturday morning. And I'm delighted to say alongside me is the former England and Sevens coach for Fiji and Olympic gold medalist Ben Ryan, a regular contributor. How are you, Ben? Yeah, I'm good, Brian. Uh, look, let's have a, a look first off at the... Uh, Wales, England, uh, two. This is personal and it really matters this time. It doesn't actually in terms of World Cup uh, standings. But um, Eddie Jones had a bit of an issue with George North's match-winning try because Anthony Watson, who was sin-binned, hadn't left the field. Now, uh, can I have your reflections on the offence itself, the sanction, and then that point of law? Yeah, so... Under law, the, 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 he should have left the field. But, you know, as we know, under law, lots of things should be applied at the moment yeah. and they're not. So it was it was a it was one of those where England, you know, always, you always need to be aware of what's going on and have your head up. And, and did you think it was a penalty? I mean, a, a yellow card? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I, I guess the referee had to say that it was the deliberate knock on and therefore that's where they can go to a yellow card and... Um, his hand kind of came out. So, I start, the issue I, I've got with those is, I think it's like one of the ones where you have uh, late tackles. As soon as you show it in non-real time in slow motion, it always looks worse. Mm, yeah, it does. It, so you have to go with what the officials thought on the at mm. the moment, and and that was where it was, and 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 they went that way. But then after that, 
it was very very clever thinking um, by Wales to 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 get that to get that kick in, and England just didn't react particularly well. So well, you're right, wasn't you know, it? It was very dull by England not to be prepared for any eventuality. Yeah. So Eddie has a point under law. You know, like I have a point under law every <laughs> breakdown. But <laughs> yeah. but but the, but ultimately the team could have reacted and uh, they could have they could have snuffed that out. A couple of points for England uh, and and Wales. I just thought. You know, Wales had far more of their starting 15 out than England, as it was at Twickenham. And they absolutely hammered England in the first half in terms of possession and territory. And yet, they didn't look like scoring, you know, many tries and, and, and they ended up only getting one and none in the second half. Uh, despite their ranking of, of number one, that, that would concern me if I was a Welsh fan. Yeah, they're, they're very good on the other side of the ball. You know, their defence is, is is fantastic at the moment. And, you know, although we saw in, in week one, uh, these warm-up games, you know, you do have to take some of them with a pinch of salt. And you know how hard Wales train going into these going into these campaigns and they, they looked a bit heavy-legged in Twickenham. They, they were better in Cardiff. But on the other side of the ball, you're right, you know they do rely on some ball carriers to get them to go go forward, and um, and perhaps they they lack a bit of spark in that back line, but they do keep ball and they do make it. I mean, I think it was the first time for about eight years that England hadn't scored in a first half yeah. of an international. So you know if they can suffocate the opposition, it matters a, a little bit less uh, on what you're doing in attack. Yeah, I just wondered if they were to go down like they did at Twickenham, you know that's that to me is a is a difficult route for them. But uh, and I just wonder. Now, when we're talking about creativity, how big the Anscombe um, the unavailability is is going to be? Yeah, I think it. I think it's a, a serious blow to them. Bigger is a quality player at ten, but behind that, they're they're gonna they're gonna struggle. And Anscombe has got pace to break the line. He distributes well and he organises and communicates. So um, I think it it would be naive for anyone to say that Anscombe's not a serious blow um, to to the Welsh side. But you know they're a very difficult team to beat. And I think yeah. unless you know if you're an opposition that suddenly gets 15, 20 points up on Wales, then I think you're absolutely right that Wales are gonna struggle perhaps to score quickly but it's very unlikely i think that wales are going to allow teams to 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 do that and they do they do look impressive and and i think they will get themselves in peak condition for come world cup uh, i've had a chance to talk to you about uh, england's squad and you know everyone can always moan about a squad and say he or she, you know they ought to have been in and so on what do you make of it overall in particular um, the uh, selection from a sevens background of Rory McConaughey. Yeah, I, th- I think the squad, when you look at it, is is very, very strong and has as much depth as anybody that's going to the World Cup. You, you, you're right. You could, you know, I can. I've got my own personal favourites, and I, I would have Danny Cipriani in there, and I would, I would have Danny Kerr in there for his for his ability to break up the game with a bit more of his attacking, kicking game and and movement around the fringes and his experience. Uh, but that's just me. And, and as far as the wingers, McConaughey, I think he's an excellent player. Ollie Forley would have been another guy that would have come out of left field from Gloucester. And he's, he's given him an opportunity and I'm looking forward to hopefully he'll be able to play this weekend against Ireland. But he's, he's a good player. We, I mean, we are blessed with... Depth in pretty much every position, which is um, which is you know, it's the first time for a long time, isn't it, that yeah. England have gone into World Cup properly stacked like that, and with the availability of a starting fifteen, which will have the requisite number of caps which you need, you know, and it has been historically proven to to be the case to actually succeed. I, I just the other thing is this: I, 
people have got to understand with England, they will do things well. Um, but as I've made a point before, there's a difference between doing them well and then having everybody available that takes you that extra bit, which is just a little bit, because defences, they can cope with four or five you know, nominated runners. What they can't cope with is the extra one that their defense doesn't, the defensive systems can't cater for. And therefore, if you have just two, maybe, even, you, uh, say, Sinclair and Mako Vanapola not playing in the starting 15, mm. they could be the two which just break the opposition back in, in, in defense because you can't cover everybody. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and England do have good variety in all of that. And you look at, you know, I mean, I, I spend a bit more time looking at bat lines and you do see like there's no been no Jack Nowell or Johnny May playing so far in, or, or Farrell um, and all those guys offer another level on top of that I, I don't I'm not sure why well okay, he's got his reasons why he's continuing playing Elliot at fullback I still think he'd probably end up by the end of the World Cup having Watson there with with those two wingers playing and Elliot Daly maybe shifting into the midfield or, or coming on as an impact um, that that for me that we've got some amazing individuals but the backline as a unit hasn't fired um, yet um, and th- there's lots of good reasons why not because they haven't settled into a, a, a 10-12 in particular that they've had week in week out but um, they're running a little bit out of time just to see to, to, to I guess tick that box for me yeah I just I just wondered because you, you you're right about that but then again given that they haven't played this what is going to be the starting backline at all as far as I you I mean they're nowhere near are they at the no, moment no they're not and, I and just we, wonder when it when it when when is he going to play them presumably they've got to have a running the, the, will it be will it be Ireland will it be Italy I'm not I think it might you might not be until that Italian game and then that he's actually perhaps gambling a little bit that some of those group games might also give him a bit of inertia um, mm-hmm. outside the French and Argentina game, you know, and, and the French look, looked a handful at the weekend. So, so um, yeah, I think he, he has gambled with that. And obviously you'd expect in training that they've put their full back line or what he thinks is into training. I know it's not the same as games, but... Um, yeah, the, the, uh, it swings around about, isn't it? There's, there's the risk of not doing that. There's the reward of of actually catching teams um, on the hoof because they wouldn't have had as much time to analyse, you know, play, mm-hmm. ha- seeing Farrell and Tuilangi playing at 10-12 and Slade or Daly at 13 and and the two wingers back in. So it, it's got it's got it's got its pros and cons for sure. And I think you you will know this just as well as anybody when you're in tournaments. You can catch people cold, and people do leave things, you know, in reserve. But as you say, they they gamble against, uh, you know, whether or not they've got the enough familiarity. You know, that's the sort of thing. But these are the decisions which coaches are paid to make, aren't they? They are, they are, and I, and I think it's moved on a lot. So you know, if you look at some of the teams where you could think how successful they were with like a you know a Gregan Lark and Little Horan, those sort of combinations that you've seen over the years in different guises. Um, whether now they would have been analysed a lot, that they would have had to they would have had to up their game to play even better. I, I, I'm not sure, but I do know that. You know, I, I I think that the depth is there, the understanding will be there and the conditioning will be there. So if they can make sure that their back line is operating well and is clearly understands um, what they're trying to achieve, then there's no reason why what Eddie's doing is, is absolutely the right thing at the moment. Well, two Englishmen have pontificated on the uh, Wales-England game. Why don't we get a Welsh perspective? Good. Good to speak again to Adam Jones, the former Wales and Lions prop, who's uh, joining us now. Hello, Adam. Morning, Brian. How are you? 
I'm OK, mate. Look, Eddie Jones, after the match, said Wales are now favourites to win the World Cup now. Uh, whether you... What do you... <laughs> uh, kidology or, uh, or a realistic assessment? I think I think Wales can win the World Cup. Uh, I wouldn't imagine they're favourites to win, are they? Obviously, the All Blacks are knocking about. And, well, as, as we heard over the weekend, it wasn't England's first team. So I'm sure when England's first team all come back, they'll be... They'd be one of the favourites to win. So um, no, it's, it's a bit of kidology, isn't it? But uh, yeah. now we're, I think, uh, we. I wouldn't say we're going under the radar, but you know, we're the world's best team now, so it's going to be very fresh. What What do you think was the diff- biggest difference between a Saturday's performance and the uh, Twickenham defeat from from Wales? Um, I think I wouldn't say they, well, England caught uh, Wales cold the first week. I think obviously there's been a lot more. I'd imagine there's been a lot more rugby, a lot more um, how much rugby getting in get into three days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But um, no, it just looked it looked like the Welsh team that's been so successful the last sort of two years. You know, physical, you know, um, defence was uh, in the face. Every sort of contact area, there was it was a uh, you know a scrap and a fight, and uh, you know the certainly you know, obviously the try was <laughs> an interesting one. But you know there was um, you know, Sean would have been pleased with the sort of. Um, Defence and Rob McBride being you know, over the moon with a moral defence from the, the week before as well. well. Hey, Ben Ryan here. Um, hey, I, I, I was really looking forward to watching cubby boy James Davies playing in the back row, <laughs> yeah. and, and then he unfortunately had a bit of a bang after 25 minutes. Um, he's a, he's a, for me, he's a bit of a point of difference. Do you think they'll take him in the World Cup? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Obviously, Tipper's going to come back in, and it depends what they take. They like Shingler tonight because of his uh, line out. And um, but I, I know he's a he's a great player. He's been awesome with the Scarlets over the last couple of years. And uh, you know, as you said, he's, I think he's different in many ways, isn't he? Mm. On the field, off the field, and uh, so he's you know you can't underestimate how much in these long sort of six week tours. Uh, you know, a character can um, you know keep the you know the morale going. You know, you look at sort of Andy Powell's and mm. these type of um, James Haskell, these type of guys who are you know always in uh, up the centre into some, someone. So no, he's um oh, he's, he's out of a player, but I thought I done the videos and outstanding when he came on, mm. and um, you know he's going to go typical go. So it's a, I guess it's going to be a bit of a fight, isn't it, between um, a few more people? Well, obviously Falcao's out now, so it's uh, may open the door a bit for Cabby. Well, someone else who's also out, unfortunately, is Anscombe. Now, Bigger uh, was named man of the match, and he's a very good 10. We all know that. Uh, what do you think of the depth below him? Because the Wales are going to have to draw on that now. Yeah, I think um, we're probably a lot deeper than um, certainly, you know, um, well, the mice side of the bridge now up in London would, uh, would, you know, would know with Jared Evans and Patchell. I think, they're, you know, the two Vega players are both... Um, you know, play a lot for their uh, clubs. Jared Evans, more your sort of traditional uh, Welsh 10, if you want, and, um, you know, a bit younger, but Patrick, you know, he's played a lot of rugby, a lot of experience now, and, um, you know, he's played in big test matches. But, um, yeah, oh, look, Dan was fantastic in the weekend, and uh, we can ill afford to lose him. But, no, I don't think we're not, you know, we're pretty, we're still pretty deep behind, even though even though we haven't got uh, Anscombe, who's, you know, a bit of a rock star doing the Six Nations. Two tests coming up uh, against Ireland, which will, you know, that's a, f- a fairly hefty uh, workload against two, uh, you know, two different and, and good op- opponents. Um, what do you think Warren Gatland will be looking for out of those games, besides the win, that's, you know, obviously? Well, I'm assuming everyone's going to play. Um, you know, I think, I think you've got to look to start um, the two props who came off the bench. You know, they're going to probably start at some point. Rob Evans will come back. 
you know, for me, the bit you, you've got to, I guess you've got the big four now, but you've got to rest Ken Owens, you've got to rest Alan mm-hmm. Wayne, you've got to rest John Davis and, um, you know, Dan Bigger now as well, I think. Otherwise, I'm probably Liam Williams if we've got to to. So, um, you know, I think we've got to wrap the, our superstars in cotton wool for the time being and uh, maybe maybe start them in the second island game. But, um, no, I think, you know, those four guys, you know, Test Match Lions are not going to, um, you know, not, it's not going to take a, a lot lots on the guy back into the swing of things. So, for me, I think it's just, you know, playing, playing out, sorting any patterns out, you know, um, getting a set piece right. Obviously, there's going to be a few changes, but, um, you know, it's good to test ourselves and see two Islander who's one of the better teams in the world. Adam, uh, great to speak to you again. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, right. Uh, ben, uh, Ireland have, have got England up uh, next. Uh, what sort of team can we expect Eddie Jones to pick? What, what will he be looking for out of this game as opposed to the first two, do you think? I think he's just going to continue in the same vein that he's done it. He'll mix and match a little bit. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see whether he just keeps Farrell away from most of the action until the World Cup. And there's there's a strong argument that he he should do that because of uh, you know what's behind under it under him. I'm not you know I, I, my view is we won't, England won't win a World Cup if George Ford's just us the starting ten, mm-hmm. and and so for Farrell he's probably the most important positional player in that squad to protect and uh, and he doesn't hold back in games um, particularly those Ireland matchups so there's an argument again to keep George Ford running at 10 uh, or or put in who who might be your next up um, who do you think will be the next up well it's interesting, obviously. Given the, given the selection, is not, yeah, not, I mean, not an out-and-out one. Piers Francis has, has played there before. Henry Slade played age group at 10, and he was a very fine age group 10. And so they might be looking at, at him maybe slipping slipping in there and, uh, and giving him a run in a kind of, you know, a, a what-if scenarios, I suppose, will come up for coaches as well in these that, next two weeks. Because that's a good, great point you've just made there, the what-ifs. Because game to game... If you've got three or four days to prepare, it's not ideal, mm. but it is a lot better than when you have to do it on the hoof, you know, for the last 20 minutes or middle 20 minutes, which can lose you a game, can't it? Yeah, it can. And and in these friendlies, you know, well, that's the wrong word to use, but in these games that aren't in the World Cup, um, there, there isn't, you know, there is the ability for coaches to do things tactically like this that they just can't do in in a November International mm-hmm. or Six Nations or World Cup. So he will have looked at that. He would have looked at the the back to back game program and seen what he might hope would be his selections if there aren't any injuries and the games go his way. And he's going to be testing some of those things out. And um, I, you know, that's what they're there for. You need. An element of getting that, getting that match fitness back, but and trying out your combinations, but then that's a, a, another strand for the coaches to use is those what if scenarios. So you've just got a little bit more certainty on you know that exact scenario that we just talked about. If if you suddenly lose, um, you have to have a third place fly half playing for a large portion of the game. Who who's in the current squad, and and those are the sort of things that I think they'll look at. Well, here on Full Contact, we don't just talk about uh, England. We talk about all the protagonists, both Southern and Northern Hemisphere. And tell you what's great now, feel to speak to a man who's so old that I played against him. But uh, he's done things in between retirement. He's a former France head coach. It's Philippe Saint-André. Hello, Philippe. Hello. Hi, Brian. Um, France do this, even though they've not won a World Cup. They usually turn up uh, with a squad that can do something. How do you think they are going this time round? 
Uh, to be honest, uh, I was quite impressed about the, the first game uh, Saturday in Nice against uh, against Scotland. Um, they play well. Uh, we know that for the last two years with the top 14, a lot more French players playing. So we have a more, much more depth in our squad. And, uh, you know, they work very hard for six weeks and they, they look fit, they look strong. And uh, it was not the, the, the first team of Scotland. It was more the second choice. But, you know, they played quite well. One score six tries, didn't concede the points. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I think we can be quite a, a surprise in, uh, in this World Cup, you know. The, the number eight, Gregory Ulrich, uh, made a big impression. What can you tell us about him? About uh, which player? Aldrich, oh, yeah, the number eight. Oh, yeah, yeah, number eight, Aldrich. Yeah, he's, how do you know he's 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 playing for for La Rochelle, and he's a, he's a strong runner. He break tackle. You know, he he he, he can play a six or number eight, and and after you know after a big big preparation of six weeks, because you know but the top fourteen is so long, and sometimes the players don't have the time to have a good. Uh, Pre-season, but you know he he looks very fit. He's uh, very very strong, and uh, he, you can play around him because he, he's quite good in the offload. And and he, and and he's uh, he's young, you know, and he's he's very talented players. And uh, for me, he was uh, he was probably the, the best player on the pitch uh, Saturday against uh, against Scotland. Hey Philip, another another player that that made his debut this weekend was um, was Alfredi Raka from Clermont. Well, how did you how do you think he went? And do you think he's going to be a first choice winger for France in the World Cup? Uh, to be to be honest, we were quite surprised because he was injury a long long time with his knee after with with his arm, and uh, he didn't perform very well with uh, with Clermont-Ferrand in the end of the season. He he was very poor in the final uh, of the French league against Toulouse, but uh, the same, you know, uh, Saturdays on the second ball, he scored a try or he, he, he broke two tackles. He's a very, very powerful player, you know, and uh, and, and and the same, you know, he, he didn't look uh, the same. He lost, I think he lost three or or four kilo, he looked sharper, quicker, and after it shows, and uh, when we go forward, he's somebody, you know, with so much power, strength, and speed, then he can bring some things different to the French team, and, you know, for, for the French team, for the last five, six years, we are struggling when we when we arrive in the strike strike zone to to score and he's a guy can can make some great difference and I think he yeah I think he would be third choice for for the World Cup this year. Philippe, uh, what is the expectation in France? The the public's expectation of how France will do in the World Cup and what do you think would be a good tournament for them? Uh, the expectation is. is is to beat Argentina on the on the first game, uh, first game of the of the World Cup. It's uh, you know for us yeah. if we if we want to be qualified in in quarter final of the of the World Cup, we need to we need to beat uh, to beat Argentina on the on the opening game of the of the World Cup. So I think this is uh, is what the players, the staff, the squad are very very focused. 
And after, you know, if you are in quarter final, you know, you 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 will play or Wales or Australia, and after you have nothing to lose. And and to be honest, the the, the French team, uh, uh, the depth in the squad is quite good. I I will say than just in fly half or. Uh, we are not sure, but uh, the rest of the squad, the squad is quite uh, strong. We have uh, we have a lot of solution in in each position. So f- for us, we need to to go out the the pool stage, and uh, and f- and for us, uh, the key the key game will be the first against against Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, just finally, and you're not coaching uh, the World Cup this year, but you have set up your own academy, and I'm told that we, anyone can get more information by going to the website www.psaacademies.com. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, you know, I think it was it was after the the World Cup, and after we 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 lost heavily against New Zealand, and uh, I feel that was an the development of our young player was not was not great in France because our young player didn't arrive to have game time in top 14. So I, I create an academy. We are in six venues uh, in Ireland, in UK, in France, in Martinique, and uh, we are nearly uh, 500 young players this year. You know, nearly 12 different nationality and and we play rugby language but also do you know um, the way to be a, uh, to be a gentleman i think you know we it the, the rugby it's, it, it's for me it's uh, it's very very important and uh, uh, you respect your coach uh, you respect the game you understand the rules so we try to put the, the young players in one environment and they train like a professional we have gps and everything so they train with a new technology but i think to bring 12 or 13 different nationality together for one two weeks you know it's uh, it's fantastic and uh, i am like you you know i am a world player and uh, the rugby was uh, was amazing for me i travel everywhere in the world by the rugby and i try you now with psa academy to to give a little bit that's what I get for for more than 30 or 40 years with, with, with rugby. Well, Philippe, best of uh, luck with that and hopefully we might be able to speak to you again uh, as the tournament goes on. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. Take care. Bye-bye. And if you want to hear more about Philippe St. Andre's Academy, there'll be more in the show notes. Scotland, Ben. Look, um, not great, well, in fact, awful start to their World Cup preparations, but... I did make the point when I was writing about it that they've had so many injuries to so many key players and and unusually in two or three positions, you know, they've had the first choice of three, four, five out that when you assemble them, you're going to have trouble getting the squad balanced and not, not, never name the starting 15. It's going to take a little bit of time. So, Perhaps not panic as much as the result and the performance suggests. No, I'd agree with that as well. I don't think they should panic. Um, you know, it was a tough opening game for them, coming off the back of a kind of a, a decent amount of preparation in, as far as training. But you know, they were missing a number of players, a number of players coming back having had not much game time, um, and they'll do a lot better next weekend, I'm sure, in, in Murrayfield against against the same opposition. So yeah, nothing to get too too overly worried about, in my opinion. I mean, people already making comments about Gregor Townsend being too focused on playing 
pretty flowing rugby and how about concentrating on winning? To me, uh, that misses the point because Scotland's only real chance of going far in the tournament is to play right on the margins and play this sort of rugby because they're not going to stand toe-to-toe um, uh, you know, with, with bigger, heavier opponents and grind them out. No, and Greg has Greg has you know publicly said that you know, they want to play the fastest brand of of attacking rugby in the world, and that means you know razor sharp and quick rucks and breakdowns and, and movement to allow people like Finn Russell and and Hog some space to do their thing and Hugh Jones and these they've got a very good side. I, I do I do think that it's. I, you know, when I hear lots of people talking about how Gregor seems almost too focused on, on the flowing rugby, that's just not the case. You know, he's a very, very, very good coach that looks at both sides of the ball. And although their defence was was not good at the weekend, you know, they spend a lot of time on that. They work hard on that. Um, and, you know, they, they understand that they, their defence has to be absolutely outstanding to allow them this sort of possession on the other side of the ball, so they can play their their style. So uh, it's an it's unfair when I think people criticise Gregor. You know, he, he is you know a very fine coach that that's um, that's had a lot of injuries, and that was their first game. You know, and it's a bit like the the Welsh performance against England that we you know was lacked a lot of sharpness in that first game at Twickenham and a lot of penalties. You know, no one was getting too worried um, from Welsh perspective either. And I think, you know, judge Scotland in, in a few weeks' time and even then, you know, their focus is on the World Cup and getting that right. Well, there are some people uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, foolish if you ask me, who almost wrote New Zealand off. Um given their thrashing by Australia last week. They came back as, indeed, most people thought they would, and they gave Australia a hiding this time, 36 points to nil. Going to speak to former All Black Scott Hamilton about not only this, but the rest of the Southern Hemisphere side. He's on the line now. Hello, Scott. Hey, Bron Hayden. All right, mate. I, look, New Zealand might not be the outstanding favourites that people had, um, you know, a couple of years ago, but... This result was just typical of the sort of reaction you get from Kiwis, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was getting a bit of stick over here from uh, certain people as well about the week yeah. before. But, um, you know, going back to Eden Park, it's, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty confident. I, w- I wasn't expecting that sort of a result, but, um, you know, I was pretty confident we'd get, we'd get across the line. What about the two new wingers? Uh, both played, both scored. Reese and uh, George um, Bridge. I mean, you you you're an outstanding back yourself. So, what did you make of their performances? Yeah, I was really impressed with Reese. Um, really physical, uh, looks dangerous every time he gets that massive work rate as, as well. And George Bridge had a, you know, he's got um, he was all over the park. Um, I think you know they really really put their hand up, and it was there was probably a few um, eyebrows raised when uh, Hanson selected them as well, but. It just, you know, it goes to show the, the trust they've got in, in the in the next guys coming through, and um, they they certainly put their hand up. I, I think Ioani's still going to have the inside running. Um, I see he's going back to club rugby this weekend, but um, yeah, I, I mean he he uh, does he has been out of form, but I, I think um, hoping hoping that uh, when we get to tournament time in the big games, that as you saw, you know, he, he was pretty spectacular in the Lions series as well in big games there. So, no, I, I think. Um, yeah, it's it's great to see, and we know that if we've got any injuries in the outside backs, that we're going to have it covered pretty nicely. Now, New Zealand are quite capable of doing this because they are 
um, they are quite ruthless in their selections. And if they don't feel Ayani is, is, is there or thereabouts, they, they're quite capable of not picking. Is, is that a serious prospect? Um, I mean, he's obviously going to be in the squad, but um, he, he's going to he's going to have his uh, his chance to shine now. Obviously, I think we think we've got South Africa in the first game of the, the World Cup, but there's obviously going to be um, the other sort of three fixtures will be um, giving giving I suppose the whole squad a, a crack. But um, it'll be interesting to see what what side they run out with against South Africa. But I mean, having said that, it might not still be our, our strongest side. You know, it'll be the strongest side to beat South Africa, but. You know, they um, uh, South Africa, the way they defend and, and the way they play is probably can be slightly different to other teams. So, um, you know, it could be a bit of a horses for courses type thing on, on that front as well. But, yeah, no, I, it's it's good to see. And I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with a player, you know, knowing, you know, he's been... Um, He's been the, the big man, big man in town for a while, and now things haven't quite gone his way. And I, you know, it's, it's never doesn't hurt a player to be uh, dropped every now and again just to, to sharpen things up. Hey, Scott Bemeron here. Um, we've we've seen with the England they've 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 put a couple of bolters into their World Cup squad, and, and New Zealand have done it occasionally over over the years in, in World Cups where someone's come from perhaps under the radar. Do you see anybody that that perhaps isn't one of your front runners that might emerge as as being key to to success for the All Blacks in the World Cup? Um, I mean, I think most of the guys have had a bit of a crack. I, I can't see um, a, a bolter, and even if the, if there was, you know, you're still picking 31, and, and the chances of someone coming from outside and then having a, a meaningful say, so to speak, in the in the World Cup would be quite slim. I mean, unless there's injuries, obviously, but, you know, you could say about the, the last World Cup, we were going through um, through 10s like anyone's business at that stage with Stephen Donald coming off out of the, out of the white batting trip. So, I mean, injuries will certainly happen. Um, and there's, you know, there's the short turnarounds that guys have got to get used to as well. Um, the teams are going to get used to. But I, I think, yeah, I'd answer your question. I, I don't think so. I think most of the guys have had a crack. And, and if anything, it'll be more guys that have been left out that'll be talked about rather than guys that have been included. Uh, if we look at the other um, Southern Hemisphere teams, leave, leaving Australia aside, South Africa and Argentina, you've been over here, so you'll hear a lot of, to me, ill-informed comment where people have been saying, you know, South Africa have gone, Argentina and nothing. Not understanding, in my view, that all these teams are working towards the seven weeks of the World Cup. What happens before, to a large extent, is not is not really relevant. And, of course, funnily enough, they started to play you know, a lot better and uh, South Africa came from behind. Uh, to see off Argentina in Pretoria 24-18. Where do you think those two teams are in their in their curve towards the and their tilt at the World Cup? I mean, I, I think South Africa are a real chance to make the final. Obviously, um, you know, South Africa and New Zealand, regardless of what happens, they're going to end up on the other side of the draw from each other, being in the same pool. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a real chance for me that that could be a, a World Cup final, in my opinion. Um, obviously, there's there's so many other teams that have have got a crack, but you know, I think South Africa are a very very hard team to play against. They're very good defensively, um, and uh, you know the, the way that they uh, handled the All Blacks in the two tests this year as well. Um, you know, shows how good they are. Argentina again, they, they've struggled a lot. They've struggled to score a lot of points of late, um, and they must be concerned about their attack. But then again, they weren't probably fancy going into the, the last World Cup either that much, but they um, ended up with the top top four finish. So um, I certainly wouldn't write Argentina off, but I, um, you know, I, I can't see them being, um, you know, better than the other three 
Southern Hemisphere teams, not to mention all the you know the English and the Irish and, and the Welsh up here as well. So, but you know they are, as you say, they are a, a, a gutsy side. They're always going to go there, be there, and if you're a little bit off your game, they'll um, they'll make you pay the price. Got a last one, a quick one, if you, if you don't mind. The Pacific Islands. Um, which of those do you see as the one that might make a an upset at the, at the World Cup? I'm not saying win the World Cup, but yeah. uh, not not one, yeah, not one well, of the big boys over. No, I mean obviously you know Fiji a step with talent. There's no doubt about that. Certainly in the backs. Um, I mean I, I think they've possibly got the the inside running. I mean in Japan at home, I, you know I wouldn't write them off as well having the the crowd and they've they've obviously uh, have got sort of big big match games like they did against South Africa in the last World Cup. Um, obviously not the uh, they're not from the, the island nations, but they they have in that in that area. Mm-hmm. But I mean the Samoans will always be will, will be all right now. I mean they're always I suppose the big thing comes down to is certainly against the big boys they need to be um I wouldn't say dominant, but they need to be competitive in that front five. And that's that's the main thing. They um they'll obviously be able to score tries and if they can get sort of forty percent position they're going to be dangerous against anyone because we all know we all know what it's like um when they're in full flow but um you know everyone loves to see the Fijians and Samoans and then the Tongans throwing the ball around it's, it's great to watch and certainly uh, when they haven't got the ball they're pretty good to watch too when they're um laying people out but um yeah it, it, my big thing is and I suppose it's been like this for a while just to, to make sure that they're uh, as competent as they can and at set piece and scrum and line out and, and doing what they can to get the ball in and out and then you know unleash the outside backs Scott, always uh, great to speak to you and thank you once again for joining us. Not a problem. Thank you, cheers. Scott Hamilton, the former All Black. Uh, ben, let me pick this up because you've got a, a unique perspective as well uh, with Ireland uh, rugby, not just Fiji. Um, I'll ask you the same question. Yeah, I, I think um, I, th- I think Fiji will 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 go well. Their warm up games have been have been pretty good um, against now New Zealand. Mari All Blacks and uh, they sneak through in a, in terrible conditions against Samoa last weekend. Um, that you know they're obviously against Australia and Wales, and I think Australia is first up. And if Australia put the sort of performance they put in uh, in Perth, then Fiji just haven't got enough to be able to deal with that. And in the then the final game against Wales, it, it will depend on whether Fiji can can get some inertia and some momentum, and Wales have one or two injuries, and it might open the door. There's no doubt Fiji have progressed over the last four eight years under John McKee. He's done a brilliant job. They're still really struggling a little bit in my mind on having world class nine tens. They've got some 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 young players in there, and Frank Lamani and uh, Ben Volavola at halfback. And I think I think that's probably where they might fall over. Um, well, Scott mentioned the uh, the front five, and that that's been one for the for all the island teams for as long as I can remember. But I just wonder this sometimes: you, you can't say it's for lack of size or power, because as as you know, as as you know, as people, they are you know tremendously powerful people. I just and 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 those particular disciplines, scrummaging and lineouts, a lot of it can a lot of it can be done by rote, and I just wonder. Is there anything temperamentally that 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 that, that is, is is lacking that they just you know perhaps don't particularly enjoy them? I, 
I actually, I actually don't. Yeah, I don't agree with what Scott said around the front five. It was probably about seven or eight years ago that World Rugby also saw that there was there was a, a problem with you know just recruiting and developing front row, and they kind of they set up what was a front row factory in Fiji to develop and and put a pathway in for young props, and they put expertise in. They've they've got they brought in world class coaches around front row, and and. I think now you're seeing a highly competitive front five in Fiji that can go toe-to-toe and will go toe-to-toe with Wales and Australia. I do think there's still a subconscious bias with officials that, that if there's a 50-50 set-piece yeah. penalty, it's going to go against Fiji. Um, and I think that that's unfair, but that does happen. Um, but they have, they've you know, World Rugby and Fiji um, have gone a long way into to getting that Getting that area of the game sorted, and you know, and in the second row, I mean, you, you got you got world class players like Leonie Nakarawa that mm-hmm. can that can um, not only win your line out ball and offload around the field, but yeah. they've got a pretty effective catch drive with him as well. So, um, no, their front their front five is good, and they've got some depth in it, and they've got some size. Um, so, I don't think that that's an issue for them. It's 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 not having a it's not having a Nicky Little at ten and. Um, uh, and having a Mo- Moses Raluni at nine, that's that's what steered them into the quarterfinals last time Fiji managed to do it, and we haven't got operators of that standard that are there at the moment. Uh, let's let's move to Japan because, uh, to me, I mean, Japan pulled the result of any World Cup off. I, I thought against uh, South Africa down at Brighton in the last uh, in the in the home tournament for England, I, I just thought it was a fantastic win. Um, it, Tradition says that home teams usually have a bit of an uplift. They they obviously have been, you know, training full out. They'll have the home support. Um, what do you think they're looking like? I think they look great. They played against um, Fiji in in uh, Tokyo, I think, um, at Prince Chichibu, and they and they they blew Fiji apart in the first first half. They played some outstanding rugby offloaded across the park very fast brand very well organized and you know from what i've seen and they and they've 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 won that recent championship that they have over in the pacific and they look better than the side that played four years ago you know and and with you i thought it was an, an amazing result when they beat south africa they did they did then get thumped 45 points to 10 to scotland yeah but um, they did have a four-day turnaround yeah they did i know and i I just, I just think looking at this Japanese side at the moment, and then how that, how the home tournament, how their domestic league has, has increased, they've got you know a number of qualified players now that have uh, have gone through the eligibility route that are very, very good players, um, and I think in that group with Ireland and Scotland, they're, they're going to be a very tough side for for both those sides to to go up against. So. Um, for me, they look a better side that, across the board than they were four years ago. Um, so I, I think they could be dangerous. You may well know this stat. It was a new one on me, but 18% of the world's rugby playing population is of Pacific Island descent. Uh, recently, the former London Irish centre, Silala Mapasua, was speaking. He was speaking after New Zealand's win over Australia and in the wake of uh, Severisa's performance. And he said, look, the constant loss of talent from the Pacific Islands is reaching boiling point, and he wants New Zealand and Australia to continue to press for a relaxation of World Rugby rules to allow players to switch back to the country of their birth. Now, I was aware of the 
um, you know, the conscious um, taking of talent, you know, a, a generation ago. But now you've got a lot of players, certainly in New Zealand and Australia, who are second generation uh, islanders uh, so they, they they qualify you know by by birth for those countries um is it still um, a huge issue um, have we reached boiling point what should be done about it I th- well to, yeah it's a big um, after sugar in fiji uh, there's the number one export number two is rugby players um mm-hmm. to the economy um and that is across the pacific and it's also in you know in league as well um I think there's there's two things here. One, the homecoming or the potential homecoming regulation where players can go back to their to their their country of birth or their original country, I think is definitely worth pursuing because there has been in the past players like I don't you look at in, in France, Fritz Lee plays in the in the in the top league, I think, for Clement. Um he had one cap at sevens for New Zealand, but he's a Samoan and he mm-hmm. desperate to come across. But but unfortunately the regulations don't allow that. Ben, uh, can you just actually clarify? Are you saying that it should are you saying there should be a resident they should have to go back to the country I, to, I, to play or does you're saying under a certain number of caps or a certain or a cap of a certain age group then irrespective of where they're playing they should be allowed to you know to revert to to that nationality well, i think they could even be a bit more specific and do a homecoming if you're going from a tier one to a tier two uh, and I hate okay. using again that word, the words tier one, tier two. But but you can't do it one way where you can go f- play for Fiji and then go to New Zealand. But if you've got a Joe Rockathoko, for example, that's had however many caps he had for the All Blacks, and then you know he 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 fancies he, he wants to come back and play for his country of birth, the 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 knock on effects for him playing alongside some of those younger Fijian players and developing the game and all the other stuff. Um, as well as those players that get caught up playing some of the age group stuff and sevens, which historically did cap them. And there's nothing there that says, well, the regulations have changed now. And if you're under 20 and you play for New Zealand sevens or England sevens, that doesn't that doesn't mean you're stuck well, with a, that that's country. That's a silly regulation now, isn't it? Yeah. Given, the, given the fact that the games are almost totally separate. Yes, and they've they've got rid of that if you're under 20, but it's not retrospective. So if you were an 18-year-old oh. six years ago, it's it's still they haven't decided. Well, we'll, we'll scrap that historically as well. So there's I definitely wish I was, some. Movement. By the way, oh. I wish it was 18 six years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, so so there's definitely there's definitely there's that to to look at. I. On the Severus Reese thing, he's a he's a he's an absolutely um, uh, standard operating procedure for what happens in the island. So he got brought across when he was seventeen, I think, to play his last year or two at school at Hamilton um, to, to you know to bolster their results and and do well for them. And he went on a full scholarship and and got all those opportunities to go there that he just wouldn't have got in Fiji. He stayed there. He played club rugby. He moved through. The, the ranks until he got a super rugby contract and, and now he's playing for the All Blacks. Um, now, it's not... The, at the moment, the Pacific cannot offer him anything like that at home. There is no professional league in the Pacific. They don't have those educational private school opportunities that they have and those other, those other economic uh, opportunities that him and his family will get. And and the test teams are not paid the same sort of money as, as the top-tier teams. So until that's resolved, there's no viable opportunity for them to do anything else. And it's, so it's, yeah. you cannot for one moment blame a Sevu Reese for going, well, maybe I should have stayed in Fiji where I may or may not have made it through. 
if I did, I'm not going to get paid much money. You know, the, you talk about Olympic gold medals are on four grand a year. So the, you couldn't the, ask them to go back to the country, could you? I mean, it's just as untenable. No, it's not fair. You know, now if if after you know he's he's played for the All Blacks and he's played Super Rugby and and he he wants then to come back to play for Fiji, then I think there, sh- there perhaps should be something in that for the tier two and the same for Samoa and Tonga uh, and, and those other tier two nations. But the, really. Rather than rather than say about the you know these players are going across to tier one, we should say well hold on let's influence Super Rugby or the top leagues and make sure that the Pacific have professional franchises that are running the run there that allows an opportunity for a player to stay at home. And well, I can hear one know. of the objections already. Um, people will be saying you've got to have the same rule for everybody, and I would say why. Why do you have to say, brother? No, You're you... always talking about trying to grow tier two nations and trying to even the playing field up and trying to make World Cups more, you know, competitive with more teams, you know, who can beat each other. This is one way of doing it. It's absolutely one way of doing it. And I think they should do that. And they should also be looking at the fact that, you know, when Samoa or Tonga or Fiji go on the, uh, go in, on the field in the World Cup, you know, their match fees will be hundreds of pounds um, against thousands of pounds for the opposition playing in the same game and, and that there maybe could be something that World Rugby could do as far as giving international fees, match fees for, for Tier 2 as well to again give another carrot for players to stay um, because it's just an unfair... It's a, it's unfair to ever blame a player to take such a big change in their finances and, and, and when there is no... it's not There's no second choice. It's, there's no backup to stay on the islands as ben, far as can earn you, money. Can you... I don't mean to rude, but but it just occurred to me. I don't want to forget this point. Can you, because you've been there, can you give an impression as to what a professional contract in, say, the top fourteen, Super uh, Rugby, or um, the uh, Premiership would mean in real terms for a player going back with or banking that money or sending it home or whatever? Yeah. You know the the relative. You know, cost of living and so on. Yeah, it, it's absolutely massive. So, if anybody's earning over six figures um, overseas, then a, normally, the, the, you know, the most of the money will go home to the family because that's the culturally what will happen. Um, and it won't just go to the family, but if the money's of of decent enough level, it will go to the village, and uh, and they will, you know, they will build houses, start businesses. Um, that will will help them and their family out for generations, uh, you know. And and their option of staying in Fiji is they're playing in the top level competition there, where they might be getting twenty or thirty pounds a game, and you know none of that is going to be doing it. They'll have to have a job. Do you know what the average wage is in Fiji? Um, yeah, I would. S- I know that when we were when we were contracting sevens players, the maximum they were on was about four to five thousand pounds a year and that was about the same as a teacher or a nurse so you know that you, you well, I guess you that's the only way I can think of it is it's four so to you're talking right? 10 20 times average salary which in in this country would be what uh, <laughs> yeah. 300 I mean in, in Norway now and standard, you know, grand. the cost of living is is lower but it's still not super cheap you know it's still not super cheap and so that money that they can earn overseas makes a big big difference and that's mm-hmm. why you know there's a over 100 Islanders playing in in France and uh, and would be more in England if if the work visa permits would were slightly different. So you know you you cannot ever argue against a player wanting to go there. But what we need to do, what, what rather than moan about it, is go well. Here's viable options. Here's a Super yeah. Rugby franchise. Here's a pathway. Here's players' fees for international rugby. Here the, all these other things, so that then they can they can have a proper option to stay at home. 
Well, unfortunately, we can't put the world to rights, as we we usually try and do that, Ben, but uh, <laughs> we've, we've run out of time. So that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors in the UK. Thank you to my co-host, Ben Ryan, and thank you to all our guests, as usual. Please do subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you don't miss an episode every Monday, not just during the World Cup, but beyond. And why don't you write a review whilst you're there too? But for now, it's goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.